0: Well, good morning, Elevation Church. How are you today? You guys sound good? You guys are the second service, which means you slept in a little longer. You had two cups of coffee today, so your energy's a whole lot. Game, okay, man, so glad to be here. Listen, like you heard, I'm Moses. This is my wife, Becky, and we came with our kids. My daughter's here. We're glad to be here. Listen, we we had the opportunity of checking out St. Louis, and we love the place. We're not staying, but we love the place. We're from Old Town. (laughs) And we we checked out all the attractions, but you know we were looking forward to this attraction, it just get, just getting to come and hang out with you guys this Sunday morning in God's presence. And so I love it. Uh, as you heard, you know I've been friends with your pastor, Pastor Daniel, for five years now, a little over five years. Um, it's funny story is that we were in a room a little bit bigger than this one. He sat on this side and I sat over there. And one day we were in a group together about a year in, and I was like, "Hey, are you new?" He's like. No, I've been here a year already. Um, we just never met. We're on the opposite sides of the room. And I'm like, so folks on this side, make sure you get to know the people on this side. All right. So, But I love Pastor Daniel and Gretchen. We had the opportunity uh, a couple weeks ago to hang out, a few weeks ago, hang out, uh, have dinner and laugh. And um, your pastor's something else. He's a trip. But can I say this? Can I say this to all of you is that not only is he a great pastor and Pastor Gretchen's but this is an amazing church. You guys have such a spirit of excellence. And I just want to thank you. For for making myself and Becky just feel it just feels like home. This feels like home and just thank you You guys are amazing church and so today I want to just take a few minutes if I could and I want to talk to you about what it means to have faith that that never quits. You know, because we, we, we all have faith, and we all like to believe we have faith. I mean, I have faith, but sometimes we feel as though we don't have enough faith. Sometimes we feel like we, we're, when we face something really difficult, maybe our faith shrinks back. Because and, and, we all have those days, don't we? all have bad days, and if you have it, I promise you'll have one. It's just not doom and gloom day. You'll have a bad day. It's just, but, but, but then we have those days, you know, those days when you think, well, nothing else can go wrong, but it does. And sometimes you need to learn what it means to have faith in those really bad, horrible days. And I'm talking about a faith that teaches you, that shows you how to stand up even when you are you just want to fall apart. That kind of faith. And so... Um, uh, in the beginning of the year, like like you guys do, we were in a season of prayer, our church is in a season of prayer. We actually do prayer on Wednesday nights, but in this particular season, we were praying every Wednesday night every wednesday night and, and God was just just doing something glorious and amazing and just powerful and and my wife decided uh, to share just to, just momentarily just to share a little bit about our story and the beginnings of our story and as she began to just talk about the small little details, I just I lost it I began to weep, I just lost it because in that moment moment, I began to remember the faithfulness of God. And I think it's important because we all go through real, real difficult times in our lives. And it's so easy to forget that if God did it for you, then what makes you think he won't do it again, right? Because let's face it, some of the things we deal with are heavy and difficult and hard, difficult situations. And and sometimes in those moments, we don't want to remember, but we have to remember. That's why telling stories is important telling stories to remember the people of israel were always telling stories to the next generation so that they wouldn't forget about the faithfulness of god and so you know what uh, you know uh, sarah of course you guys didn't know the story but we actually told our kids i said let me tell you what god did to her in this story and she came home this is what god did the stories that you don't want people to forget we have to tell stories that, we have to tell stories. It's so important for us to tell stories. And one of the things I want to ask you to do is... I... One of, about five, six years ago, I found myself in a place, and I didn't share this in the first service, where as a pastor, I felt extremely lonely. I had friends, but I didn't have friends in the ministry that I could really talk to. And then when God connected our hearts into the the network, and I saw how this network, you know, how, how, how Pastor Daniel and I connected, I saw how important it was and how many other pastors out there are struggling and don't have a voice and feel alone. And can I tell you, listen, that's one of my commitments, is that any of the friends that I have in the ministry, I pray for them. And I'm asking you, if this is your house and you love this house, pray for your pastors. Because can I tell you the devil hates your pastors? Because anytime you plant a life-giving church in a community, the devil will come after them. But it's good to know that you've got people to stand with them and pray with them and cover them. Come on, will you commit? I'm going to pray for my pastors. Amen. Amen. It's important. It's important. You know, when God called us to start our church a little over nine years ago, um, we did not do it through a church planting organization. I wish we had heard about ARC, but we didn't know about them. We were in some corner of western New York and never heard of them. Okay. And uh, we, we had some money in the bank. We sold our house. Our pastor gave us, our pastor's a third generation pastor. So the church we came out of, we were youth pastors for 10 years. Church we came out of just gave us a book and said, go plant a church. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. We're like, we're going to plant a church. It's going to be awesome. Well, we had four families in the church called us up and said, we feel God is calling us to go with you. So, Sold their houses, quit their jobs, and moved with us to the hottest, most humid place on the face of the planet, Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) We came from Rochester, New York, to Orlando, 1,200 miles, all right? We go, no church planning experience, with a little bit of money, my wife is nine months pregnant. Literally, we launched our service four days before she gave birth. The fact that my wife came to church was a miracle. <laughs> I had to roll her out of bed. And I, just <laughs> I mean, that, we, that's how it, but can I tell you what? We had a little bit of faith. I, we had a little bit. I didn't have a lot. She had more than I did. We had a little bit of faith. So I had the story in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, Jesus the disciples had gotten in the boat. They go on over to the other side, and the storm hits, right? And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And I love what Jesus tells Peter to do. He, he gives us a command. He gives him a, a command. The command is, come, come. It's interesting that for many of us, we want to know, well, how, how am I going to do this, Jesus? How am I going to step out of the boat and make this happen? He didn't explain to him how the laws of gravity work or any laws of physics. He just simply said, come. And I, th- I thank God that really just based on that one command, Peter defied the laws of gravity and all laws of physics, and he walked on water on one command. And I want to tell you, listen, that when God tells you to do something, he's not going to explain everything to you. He's going to tell you one word, obey. And that's all you need to do is obey. And can I tell you that as long as Peter kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he did the impossible. He walked on water. But the minute he turned his eyes and focused on everything else that was going wrong around him, he began to sink. And that's the same with us is that we get we, we we're supposed to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, but they're small. It's interesting that the smallest, dumbest little things are the things that are the loudest things in our lives that distract us from Jesus, right? Our jobs and school and kids and everything else, somebody in church didn't say hi to you, so you're upset, and you lost, so you, come on, you know how it is. All of a sudden, that church, and I can't worship the Lord, give me a break, put your focus on Jesus, right? We get distracted by so many things, and when you do, you lose your vision. You lose your vision. The enemy will do whatever he can to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus and get you to focus on the circumstances on your life. Well, it's easy, isn't it? It's so easy because they're the things that are clamoring for our attention. They're the urgent things, right? But you see, here's the thing. What is the, what is going on in your life right now that has you so consumed to the point that you can't sleep? It has you so worried where the enemy has convinced you that you can't trust Jesus for it. Come on, that's all of us. All of us, right? And that's what I did when we started the church. I worry, worry about everything. Would people come? Do we have enough money? Is this happening? I mean, we used to put out road signs because we are, are the, the, the school we rented was in the, in the back road. It was kind of far. And we rented road signs. And we would come out after service, and they were all gone. Like somebody stole our church signs. Like who does that? Every Sunday, my whole budget was on road signs. And we come to find out it was the city officials that would pick them up in their pickup truck and just throw them in the garbage. Thank you, thank you, City of Oviedo. But but what happened is in those early days I would I would complain about everything, everything, everything that wasn't working, everything that was wrong. And i if we if we had this we could do this. And we I mean I complained it was so I didn't realize how negative and toxic I became even with my team. What happened is my vision shifted from Jesus to the problem. And any time you take your focus off Jesus, you'll start to sink in the very thing. The very thing that God wants to give you victory in, you're sinking in it. And that's it. Peter was on top of the water, and all of a sudden, he's sinking in it. Many times you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we get distracted from the vision by looking at the conditions around us and listening to every negative voice in your life, the very thing you have victory over, you will sink into. You will sink into it. The Bible says that without vision, the people perish. When you focus on your condition, you'll sink into despair. Come on, depression, hopelessness. You'll sink into worry, fear, anxiety. And when that does, that's when you need a fresh vision of Jesus. That's when you need, if when you're constantly negative and you don't see the end, you don't like, oh, you need a fresh vision of Jesus. Amen. In the book of Mark chapter 8, there's a story. I love this story. It's the story of a blind man in a town of Bethsaida, and this is, Jesus has an encounter with this blind man, and I love it, in verse 22, it says, then he came to Bethsaida, and he brought a, they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him, and so he took, the blind man, I need you to see how important this is. He took the blind man by the hand and let him out of the town. You guys see this picture? The man is blind. They prayed for him to receive. They wanted Jesus to pray for him to receive sight. Jesus, not giving into their pressure, says, I've got to do things a little differently. And he grabs this blind man by the hand and he leads him out of the town. It says, then he, he spit on his eyes. He, he had spit on his eyes. Okay, that part right there, I kind of paused because... I'm Latino, ladies and gentlemen, and he spit in my face. I might pull out a blade. It's just not, you know, but, but Jesus knows what he's doing here. I'm not Jesus. I'm not. He, he, spit, in his, he spit on his eyes. And that's not a, On his eyes. And he put his hands on him. And he asked him if he saw anything. Right? You understand, Jesus had a Middle Eastern diet, fish, olives. It's not a very pleasantly smelling spit spit. okay let's move on and he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and said i see men like trees walking then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly then he sent him away to his house saying neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town now you got to notice that that jesus in order to give this man vision what he had to do he had to lead him out of the village blind He let them out blind. He took them out. And sometimes before you can help people, you have to get them out of the environment where they've always been accustomed to limitations. Got to get them out of the environment. Now, you probably say, well, this is Jesus. Jesus can do anything. Apparently, there was something in the town that was limiting this man. I mean, if you have teenagers, right, if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. You see, I have a teenager, and many times you'll walk into their room, parent, and you're like, first of all, you'll be like, why is your room so dirty? It ain't dirty. It's clean. It's fine. No, why is the towel on the floor? Why is this over? Oh, oh yeah. You ever, you ever walk in a teenager's room, and it smells different? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm being polite. I'm being polite. Right? You smell something that they don't smell. And you're like, there's something funky. It doesn't smell bad. And it's not until you remove them from the environment and clean it and Febreze it a lot that they're able to come back and realize, oh, yeah, it did smell. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, that's how many of our Christian lives are that sometimes we get in a funk in our lives and we don't realize how bad it is because we've grown accustomed to less than what God has for us and God's saying, I need to give you a fresh vision and pull you off from where you're at so you can see it or at least smell it. And that's what Jesus, and come on, it's easy as Christians, we kind of slip into like autopilot mode. Autopilot in my prayer mode, autopilot in this and that. And we don't even realize how subtle the enemy is. And we begin to believe small little lies. And before you know it, we're in a funk. We're just in a funk. Many times it's pride where the enemy has convinced you, well, you're okay. You don't need help. You're fine. You're fine the way you are. Everything's fine. And the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Guess who's the biggest one that's being deceived? You. You yourself it deceives you here's the truth when you're in a comfort zone even if your life stinks you don't want to leave there because everything is familiar to you it's familiar right why a blind man is comfortable in the dark isn't he he knows how many steps it is to the front door how many steps to the bathroom he knows how to navigate in the dark because he's been accustomed to his limitations and listen, listen, until you understand that and realize that you'll keep wandering around your life on autopilot mode and things are going to be messed up along the way. Listen, listen, you got to understand, God wants to give you a fresh vision for your life. And I get it. Listen, listen, can I help you? Everyone, who doesn't like comfort? I like comfort. Who doesn't like your favorite spot on the sofa with your blankie and your snacks watching Netflix. You know that once you're there, no one's going to get you out of that spot. And don't you take my spot if I go to the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about. It's the comfort zone. But can I tell you, many times in our lives we are in the comfort zone, and Jesus wants something greater, but we don't want to meet him there because it's real comfortable. And anytime God requires you to step out in faith, it requires you to feel uncomfortable. Don't take my spot. We have a spot in my house. My kids know. Don't take my spot. See, but God moved our family 1,200 miles away from Rochester to Orlando, from everything that was familiar to us, our friends, our family, my plan B in case this thing didn't work. God had to strip us of the familiar so that I could learn dependence on him. And can I tell you, God led this man out blind. But the first step for you, he's got to get you out of town. He's got to get you away from your comfort zone. He's got to get you away. See, when God wants to give you fresh vision, he's got to get you away from everything, every relationship. But God, this relationship isn't working. Perhaps God is leading you out blind. God, this business venture, is, perhaps God is leading you out blind everything you depend on because if it was easy it wouldn't be faith if you could do it it wouldn't be faith it wouldn't be faith if you could do it let's just let's just put it on the fact that you're really talented and that great if you could do it it wouldn't be faith i knew we couldn't be, do this church thing no way because i wanted to quit a hundred times he didn't let me no way And you might feel like, God, you know, I'm in the wilderness right now. God, nothing is working. Nothing is working. I'm serving you. I'm loving you. Nothing's working. Maybe God is leading you out blind so that he can strip you of every familiar voice and fallback plan you've ever relied on. Sometimes you need to let God lead you out blind. And we don't like it. Oh, my God, who likes it? Imagine, go go do this. Go get in the church parking lot afterwards. Grab somebody by the hand. Let them lead you out. Like You're not going to like it. (laughs) Then go down them steps. See if you can make it down them steps without touching the road. You're not going to like it. You're not. But you see, when God leads you out, you got to follow him. When God says go, just go. You're not supposed to know every step. I wish I would have known that, me trying to figure things out. No, you're not supposed to know every step. We—I remember in that elementary school we had a borrow, borrowed sound system from another church, one microphone, one projector. I remember everything: one singer and a piano that worked half the time. You want to talk about it? it was but here's the, that's not even that was, that was our beginning. We're like yes. Then it came to a point where we could no longer afford the school. Our school was in a really kind of a back road kind of situation. People weren't finding us. We'd get messages from people like, we came to church, but we couldn't find y'all. Because we could no longer afford the school, we ended up moving the church to my house. You talk about depressing. Like, God, you brought us from Rochester to have church in my house in Orlando. What's going on? And it was really depressing. We had to learn how to trust God. I, mean, I remember our kids' ministry was in the porch. It was in the porch. And we had to trust God for every th- single thing. Because you know, when God leads you out blind, you, you have a desire, maybe a dream. You're not sure how it's gonna happen, how it's gonna, you're not sure how, how it's gonna happen. But listen, you gotta let God lead you out. You gotta lead you out, you gotta follow him. So, with this man, of course, we see in the Bible, Jesus spit in his eyes and laid hands on him. He can see, he can, he can see better. He couldn't see before, but now he can see better. Anything's better when you had nothing before, right? Anything's better. But this touch gave him better vision. Prior to this, he was blind. Now he can see better. But you see, this is, where, this is a dangerous place for a lot of us because for believers, we like to camp out at a place called better when God has something called best for us. You know, we, we cannot, we're we happy enough just to see enough. We're happy with, with a partial vision. We're happy with just enough. And we settle, and we don't ever go after the best they get. And that's where comfortable Christianity happens for us. We just kind of get comfortable. We're okay on my side of town doing my thing over here. And God's saying, no, I've called you to be a little bit more uncomfortable because I have something that's called best for you. You know, one of God's Hebrew uh, names, covenant names that he revealed to Israel is El Shaddai. And it means the all-sufficient one or the God who is more than enough. And for God to let you stay in that place called better is a direct contradiction of who he is because he is more than enough. He's more than enough, not just enough. So when Jesus recognized that his vision was better, what did he do? He laid hands on him again. And I need you to get this in your spirit, because if you're happy with where you are with God, the vision that you have now, which, by the way, is dimly lit, you'll never go to the best that God has for you. You'll settle for second best. The Bible says he let him out. We touched him again. I don't know about you, but that second touch that gave him full vision, I constantly, Jesus, give me a fresh vision for my city. Give me a fresh vision for my marriage. Lord, give me a fresh vision for my church. you got to always constantly say, Lord, give me fresh vision. Don't settle for less. So now we can see better. God had more for him. How many of you believe that God always has more for you? How many of you believe that God has more for Elevation Church STL? I believe it. This is better, but God has best. God has best coming up next, right? You see, but you have to understand also is that when it comes to vision, vision changes with seasons, you know, when what, we were youth pastors, we had a vision for young people and young adults and college students. That was great. When God called us to be senior pastors, my vision shifted. Even now, we're in a building project and we're in a construction phase. And so my vision is constantly changing. You have to understand in your life, vision changes. If you have if you have the same vision when you first got married to where you're at today, your vision will grow stale. Your marriage will grow stale. You have a, need to have a fresh vision for your marriage, fresh vision for your children, fresh vision even for your finances. God to ask God, give me a fresh vision. Help me to see this different. Young people, God, give me a fresh vision. Who should I marry, Lord? Amen. Instead of just whoever comes with a job. Application. No, you got you to have a fresh vision from the Lord. Amen. So listen, instead what happens, the enemy will get us to focus on our circumstances and everything that's going wrong in our life. And we begin to lose our vision, which is why we need fresh vision. He touched him again. He can see it clearly. And he, look what he, and this is, this is what we, this is many times the enemy robs us of fresh vision. Because the problems in our life are always louder than vision that we can see. It's always louder. It's demanding. It causes you, it takes your attention. Listen, what took place here with, you know, here in this church with, with Sarah, this thing, like, we're just, Loud and demanding, but I tell you what, I thank God for Pastor Daniel and his wife, that they had faith that was louder than the problem. Their faith said, we're going to stick it through this thing. We're going to believe God. Some of us will crumble under all of this stuff. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know, a lot of times we focus on that scripture. We focus on the sin. But here he says weight and sin because there are things, ladies and gentlemen, as believers, we take up weights that we were never supposed to take up. There are things that we allow to distract us in our life that we were not to be supposed to be distracted by. And Jesus is, and Paul is saying, listen, stop, lay down the weight. Lay down the weight. You got to run this race. Let's run this race together. Don't sink back into this mess. Let's run this race together. Amen. Yeah. Here are the other things you need to know. And I want to give you real quickly three points about your faith. How do you get your faith to a place? How do you know, God, I have faith, I have faith? Well, here's the first thing you need to know is Romans chapter 12, verse three. Paul says this, he says, for I say that through the grace given to me to everyone who was among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly. And I look at the last part, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Everyone in this room has been given a measure of faith. What you do with it is up to you. You can cause your faith to shrink or you can grow your faith. But we all have a measure of faith, right? And look what it says in Isaiah 46.10. It says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. In other words, God says, look, I know your end from the beginning. I know, how your ends, I know how your life is going to end. And trust me, baby, it's much more better than what you're thinking. That's what God says. I know the end from the beginning. So I'm going to give you three points about faith that I, I think that we often have to preach to ourselves. Every now and then you have to get in the mirror when you don't feel like it, and you got to preach to yourself. Just get, get an attitude. When things are going wrong, preach to yourself. Here's the first thing you got to say. God's given me a measure of faith doesn't seem really deep and powerful, but it is. You get up to see, you know, God's given me a measure of faith. In other words, nothing will come into your life that God hasn't already given you a measure of faith to deal with it. He knew what was coming down the pike. And he decided, what's interesting is that God chose, we don't think about this often, that God chose for you to be born in this specific timeline of the entire world. You weren't born in ancient times or Jesus is that You were born now. And you think about all the different problems that we're dealing with and facing. Did you know that God said, you were born for such a time as this. I've given you a measure of faith. I know what's coming to your, your way, but because I've given you faith, I've allowed you to be born in this time and season. We have a mission to accomplish. You can be like, oh, look at what's going on in the news now. Or you can say, listen, I've got faith for this. I've got a measure of faith. Yeah, we know what's happening. We know the tide. We know everything that's happening in America, but there's still a group of people that have faith in God. They have faith. So I have a measure of faith. Did you know that nothing ever catches God by surprise? I don't know it catches us by surprise. Nothing, not, not even the bad news that happened in your life catches him by surprise. Nothing. Nothing sneaks up on him, nor does anything that's going on in your life surprise him. It doesn't. Remember, he knows the end from the beginning, and he gave us a measure of faith so that we can walk through it. I love it that not only is Jesus with you, but he gives you faith to deal with whatever you're dealing with. And I I I, I know I'm talking about faith like it's, I know it's hard. Nobody said you, you're going to have days where you're going to have tears and you're going to struggle and you're going to hurt, but guess what? You're going to have a faith that's going to teach you how to stand up in the midst of all of it. It's going to teach you how to have, be strong, that even when everybody else to, abandons you, you will still have faith. Why is your faith important? Luke 22, 31, 32. Jesus speaking to Peter says, The Lord said, Simon, Sidon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, you would think that if the devil himself wanted to sift your life, not some small little demon or unimportant imp, the devil wants to sift you. You'd want somebody to pray for you. Of course, I'd want Jesus to pray for me. And you'd want their prayer to be extremely powerful. It's interesting is that Jesus didn't pray, Lord, I pray that you'll have, let Peter have a sunshiny day. Jesus, I pray that you'll have Jenny to make sure that she doesn't have any problems today. He didn't pray those kinds of prayers that we always pray. Here's the prayer he prayed. He says, I pray that your faith would not fail. Why is that prayer so important? He's praying for us to have a faith that will stand when we're going through it an enduring faith, a faith that will not quit. Faith, why, why do you pray that? Because faith is more important than money. It's more important than your career. It's more important than happiness. Why? Because if you were to lose everything today, I'm talking your spouse walked out on you, you got fired from your job, your house burned down, the dog left you. Even if you lost everything, if you have faith in God, you'll be able to look at the devil and say, I'll be back. I'll be back. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. You can say that when you have faith. How do I know? Job lost it all. His wife told him, curse your God. His friends tried to tell him to turn. He says, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And the Bible says he got double for his trouble. So I don't know what's what's going on in your life. But listen, if you'll just learn to understand that you have a measure of faith for this thing, guess what? You'll make it. You'll make it. You'll make it. Here's the second thing I want you to know about faith. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It doesn't take truckloads of faith and boatloads of faith. My goodness, it takes a little bit. A little bit. So little, Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. I love he said, he didn't say nothing will be impossible for me. He said, nothing will be impossible for you. I don't know, what was it? A mountain of debt? You got to move. Mountain of financial stress? You got to move. Mountain of sickness? You have to move. Mountain of depression? You're going to have to move. Mountain of addiction? You're going to have to move because nothing will be impossible for me. It's got to move. And it only takes, a, think about it, with a little bit of faith, Peter walked on water. A tiny bit. He did what no one in this room has ever done. Yeah. He walked on water and defied the laws of gravity. Imagine what he could have done with medium faith. A little bit of faith. little bit of faith. What's, it, what's great about having mustard seed faith is you're able to take the things from the impossible column and move them to the possible column. That's what you're able to do. And can I say this? I, I, I am a mustard seed faith kind of guy all day long. Because I'll be up there on Sunday preaching fire and power of God and faith. And then Monday comes and the bills hit. And I'm like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's all of us, right? We could have faith one moment and the next. But that's where that's, all of a sudden you start to remember, wait a minute. I've got faith. I've got a measure of faith. I've got a measure of faith for this. I can make it. In, in Jesus' day, the phrase of mustard seed faith was said to signify small, insignificant things, stuff that didn't matter. And what Jesus is saying, listen, that's all the faith you need. See, because it wasn't about the size of the seed is about the tenacity, the endurance of the seed, the process that the seed had to go through. That's what it was about. You see, the seed, wherever they planted it, was planted usually in rocky soil. And so the seed had to deal with drought. The seed had to, and then when it finally germinated, it grew. It had to deal with coming through the rocks and the soil, the animals grazing on it, people trampling all over it. But nonetheless, I tell you what, that's, what's determination about this seed is that no matter what happened, it kept coming through and kept growing and kept growing. And that's the kind of faith Jesus says you need to have is that it's going to get trampled on and stepped on. Your problems are going to try to cut it off but I'm telling you, have faith like a mustard seed. It'll just keep growing. Just keep growing. Just keep growing like Dory. Just keep going. It'll just keep growing. Yeah. He says, I want you to have unstoppable faith. Faith that won't quit. Faith that will not, will not relent no matter what. Don't ever despise the days of small faith. Ever. Ever. Let your faith grow. And here's the third thing I want to share with you is that there is nothing that you'll ever encounter that you don't already have faith for. Nothing. Nothing. This is where you have to learn to preach to yourself and say, I have faith for this. I have faith for this. God gave you enough faith to make it through whatever storm or situation you'll ever face. But you've got to recognize that you have faith for this. So when sickness comes knocking on your door and you don't have an answer, You got to encourage yourself and say, "I've got faith for this." If your marriage seems hopeless, you got to learn how to encourage yourself and say, "We're gonna make it through. I have faith for this." Whatever you're facing, you have to say, "I have faith for this." Come on, would you practice with me? Can you say, "I have faith for this"? I have faith for this. I have faith for this. When crisis hits, I'm gonna tell you, "Will," and the devil roars and he's yelling. Sometimes you got to dig really deep in your spirit because, listen, let's just face it. When you're dealing with problems, you don't want nobody from church to call you and encourage you with a scripture. Come on, let's be real. Come on, you're going through like, I I know what the Bible says. I know what it says. Don't tell me. You know it, but you know what? Sometimes you have to dig deep down beyond what you're feeling and say, God, I've got faith for this. I know it sucks really bad. I know I hate the way I'm feeling. I know everything else is falling apart, but God, I have a measure of faith, and I've got faith for this thing. So when you're facing fear, this is how you encourage yourself. You get in the mirror and say, you know what? For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. When you're facing opposition, you're able to speak Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. When you face attack, Isaiah 54:17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against me in judgment, I shall condemn. When you don't know when your next meal is coming, Psalm 37:25. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. You gotta preach to yourself. That's how you get your faith growing. I love Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and God delights in His way. I'm gonna delight myself in the Lord. And my favorite is this: Psalm sixty-eight nineteen. Blessed it be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits. Can, I got news for you. I don't care how bad the situation is. I don't care how bad your days are. You are loaded with benefits every day. Somebody say, I'm loaded. I'm loaded. And that's not just your gun. You're loaded with benefits. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to close the story. I'm going to close our story. So when we were at our house, you know, things were looking just bad. I wasn't. I, I had to go through an experience with the Lord where I had to finally come to a place where God was killing me. Because that was my prayer. God, are you killing me? Yes. I'll never forget that. God, why did you bring us here? Did you bring us here to fail, to die? And God said, yes, I'm killing you of your dependence on you. I need you to trust me. This is not the Moses show. This is not about your charisma. This is, not a, this is about what I want to do in Orlando through you. And it was sobering, but I had to let God humble me and break me in that time. And one night... Um, I was talking to my wife and I really felt I had to share let me reshare the vision with the team the following Sunday we're meeting in my house maybe 30 something of us with kids and I was a little embarrassed that we were meeting in my house and uh, we weren't even advertising that on our website because we didn't want anyone to come we just let's just do this thing and get out of here and uh, I'll never forget we had a, a knock at the door just before our service was to start on a Sunday morning and it was a very odd gentleman. He was an Englishman. He, had, he looked like a tourist. He had uh, white sneakers and dress socks to here, shorts, just like a strange person. And he said, I heard you're having services here. And I kid you not, we weren't even, I didn't even know how we knew. I said, yeah, sure, come on in. Meanwhile, I'm looking at everyone like, so he comes in. He Meets the people. We can do worship. I, mean, I preached the vision that day. I preached like there were a thousand people in the room. And at the end of the service, he he got up and he shook my hand. He says, "I, I loved your vision. That was great." And uh, in those days, you know, our team—they were still trying to look for work. We were recovering from the Orlando. Was still, you know, we had a very bad housing crisis in Orlando, so finding jobs is hard. Our team was looking for work. I mean, the offerings that would come in were just unbelievably bad, <laughs> and uh, in those days it was just my wife and I, and she would collect the offering and make the deposit, and everyone left, and she calls me, she says you got to come, and she's crying, and she goes you got to see this, and that man gave the largest offering we had ever received from anyone. I mean I'm weeping, we're like, oh my God, I'm crying, but what that did in that moment, you have to understand it, it paid our debt. Paid for all the equipment that we needed. Paid for six months in the school that we were going into. But in that moment, what God was teaching me, you had faith for this. You wanted to quit a hundred times. I wouldn't let you because I believed more in you than you believed in yourself. And I just want to show you how I reward faithfulness. You have faith for this. So listen, I don't know what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, what's going on at your job, at home. Can I tell you this much? You have faith for this. Do you believe it? Can somebody in here say, I have faith for this? I have faith for this. Amen. Come on, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us a fresh vision of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for allowing the circumstances of our life and everything else, Father God, to distract us. for Allowing the small, insignificant things that, Lord, have nothing to do with me growing my faith for taking my attention off, Lord Jesus. Father, today we make a commitment as a church to put our focus on you to grow our faith, to believe and understand that, God, we have a measure of faith. And, God, you called us to do great things with this faith. And we will not be limited, Father God, by. but instead we'll grow beyond, Father God, because there's so much you want to do with us. Father, I pray for this church. I thank you for Elevation STL. I thank you, Father God, that the years of better are are coming to an end and the years of best are getting ready to start, Father God. I thank you, Father God, that there are so many marriages that are going to be restored. Lost people are going to be saved, Father God. Broken people healed, Father God, I thank you. It's happening, Father Lord, and it's happening because the people in this church to refuse to be at the place called better. You're taking us to a place called best. Lord, we're going to grow our faith, Father God. And we thank you, Father God, that no matter what Comes. We have faith for this. In Jesus' name, we all said.